Maybe that was the plan. Uh, back in the, the late 70s or mid-70s, um, he had gone to medical school after high school. And the plan was to set or to chart a new course, to do something different. And, and it was all going forward like it was supposed to until 1975. And it was in that year that Michael's dad was arrested. And when he was arrested, Michael's world blew up. And he kind of reverted back to the way that things were. Michael Francisi was the son of John Sonny Francisi. And, and John was uh, one of the, the, the utmost or the highest ranking uh, mobsters in New York City. He was a part of the Colombo family and together uh, they had reigned terror over that city for decades. And as Michael had wanted to break free from that and live a different life and a new life, uh, he got drawn in that year in 1975. Quickly, um, he became an official member of the organization and he began to associate with well-known gangsters uh, slipping into that dangerous life with the syndicate. And he was very successful at what he did. In fact, accounts tell us that uh, at, the, at the peak of his career, uh, Michael Francisi was making upwards of $8 million a week for the syndicate and was accomplishing huge things for them. But the deeper and the further that he got entrenched into that lifestyle, the deeper and heavier the oppression and the authority of the syndicate was over top of him, and the more unhappy he became. He became. Record shows that uh, Michael Francisi uh, buddied up with the best of them, names like John Gotti. And together, while uh, nervous about what each other could do to the other, together they accomplished huge things in the dark world uh, of the mobster scene. Well, it got to a spot where Michael wanted to break free, and an opportunity came for him to travel to Florida uh, and produce a movie, which he thought would be a break from the scene and, and would just allow him to get away and experience a little bit of freedom. And, and little did he know that when he got there, he would meet somebody that uh, would have an influence on his life that would forever change his life. It was there that he met Camille Garcia, a dancer from Los Angeles who not only was extremely talented at what she did, but also radiated Jesus Christ. There was a peace in Cami that Michael saw that he longed for himself. And so as they began to talk and share and eventually would go on to develop a relationship, Michael was intrigued and it planted a seed in his mind that there was something beyond the dark, oppressive ways of the syndicate. And there was something more that was out there that he could have. Shortly after uh, the movie was produced, uh, Michael Francisi was arrested and put into prison. And when he was in prison, uh, a federal prison guard came to him one day and slipped a Bible through his door. And as Michael received that Bible and as he started to pour through it, he started to investigate the words of Scripture like a lawyer trying to defend his case. And as he poured himself into the pages of Scripture, his eyes were opened to the reality that Jesus could have authority in his life and Jesus could help him to break free of the oppressive ways of the dark world and give him something more, something he longed for and something he desperately wanted if he would just receive him as Lord and Savior. And so that day came. In a cold prison cell, Michael bowed the knee to Jesus and his life was forever changed. Michael, looking back on that time, Michael said it was during those days while struggling with isolation that it was in desperation he turned to God and looked for a relationship. And as he did, he found it and he embraced it and he believed it and he gave God the ultimate authority of his life. 
Camille comments now that she never expected the transformation would have been so monumental, and yet this is Michael's story. He was a man set free from the bondage of the dark world, and he was a man that gave Jesus the authority of his life, and as he did and when he did, he received and he experienced the peace that he was looking for. And that peace, as he embraced it and as he received it, was something that he would carry forward and something that he shares about now with Christian groups, with prisoners, with, in conferences, in the different circles that he travels as a believer, as a man on fire for God. He's a man who's been forever changed because he bowed the knee to Jesus. Friends, this morning we're concluding our series in the book of Jude, and I hope for you this has been a meaningful series. And as we conclude, we're finishing with a passage here in verses 8 to 10 with a sermon entitled, Choosing Your King. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to pull them out and follow along with me. If you're, well, everybody's watching online today. As you are, I would encourage you, if you don't have a Bible with you, a physical copy, that there's a tab that you can select and follow along as we read these words together. And I believe what, what Jude is going to speak to us today, ultimately what Jesus is going to speak through Jude and through me and into our lives, is highly important. So I would encourage you to lean in with us for the next uh, number of minutes as we go through this and dissect a difficult passage, but I believe a critical passage for these days that we live in. Uh, but let's start in the Word of God. And so I would encourage you um, to follow along in your Bible, verses 8 to 10. And we'll dissect this and pick it apart here in just a few moments. Let's read together, starting in verse 8. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, rejecting authority and heaping abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare himself to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people speak abusively against whatever they do not understand and what things they do not understand by instinct like unreasoning animals. These are the very things that will destroy them. You know, I've been convinced through this series that it's been so relevant that we study this because this is a passage where uh, where Jude is reaching out and encouraging the church to remember what's true and what's right when it comes to the gospel of Jesus. He's defending the message of Christ because people had snuck in and had started to pervert and twist this message and had started to seed into the church that there was something different they could have, but the reality with what they were offering was that it was leading to disaster rather than giving them the hope that these apostates said it could, it could have. And so I think it's really important because not only in the early church, but indeed in our church today, there's, there's messages that are coming at us from all sorts of angles and all sorts of ways. Messages that tell us that there's something more. But ultimately, if we submit to these things, it's going to lead us to disaster. But instead, if we can stay rooted on the message and the gospel of Jesus, friends, I believe it's going to seed into us hope and show us that these are days that God has for us. Days where we can thrive, days where we can have opportunity, days where we can be transformed, even though the world around us is hard. These are days that, that God is very much at work. And so we've gone through for the past uh, three or four weeks, and we've highlighted a couple of important things. In message number one, Pastor Scott encouraged us to humble ourselves. 
That when we're in hard days like this, we can come to Jesus, that he paved the way for this, and we, could, we can lay our lives at his feet and allow him to move in our lives. The second thing that we need to do in days like this and in the second message, we learned that it was important that we define the fight, that there's things that we can lean into in these days that will have an eternal consequence or an eternal significance, but there's also things that we can invest our time into that maybe are just temporal. And five hours, five days, five weeks, five months from now, we're not going to remember the things that we're fighting for and, and, and that aren't really important. So we have to define the fight. We have to make investments into things that actually matter and things that are going to be important in eternity. And as we do, that, those are going to be the things that, that seed into us hope and perspective and joy in this season and moving forward. Last week, we talked about the reality of realizing the stakes that uh, we uh, can make investments that will have an eternal significance or, uh, in, in a positive way or in a negative way. And that when we... Uh, make investments in things that don't really matter, that can lead us to destruction. And that there's a difference uh, between heaven and hell. And finally, this morning, we're going to talk about choosing our king, about the significance and importance of choosing Jesus in seasons like these, of, of allowing his mantle of authority to rest on our shoulders and his mantle of authority to guide us and direct us. And so I would encourage you to lean in here as we dissect these words and lean in with me as we flesh this apart, opening your heart to receive from Jesus in an important way today. Well, these are not light verses, friends. In fact, these verses are really heavy, and, and Jude is really on the offensive here, talking against these apostates. And so he starts in a very important way. He says, in, a very sim- in the very same way. In other words, he's saying in a very similar way, or he's saying, therefore, everything he's just said, he is, he's emphasizing here again. He says, in the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, and that word dreams is very important, these ungodly people pollute. And I want us to take, uh, I want us to take notice of what is happening here, because I think it's important, and I think it's actually in keeping with, with so much of what's taking place in our world here today. Uh, these people, these apostates, these heretics were bringing a message into the church that was destructive. And the source of that message, it says here in verse 8, was coming from their dreams. The source of their message was that it was coming from their fleshly uh, perspective rather than from a divine, godly, Christ-centered perspective. And this is what Jude is speaking against. This word dreams is really important to us because it reveals to us that something very concerning is taking place. It gives the sense in the original Greek that a new truth is being revealed. That a, a prophetic word is being brought forward. But here's the problem with that. We know that prophecy exists and that, that prophecy can be given. But the problem with this word or the problem with these dreams is the source of where that word was coming from. These dreams were being elevated and were being presented as even greater than the gospel. And yet the tone suggests that that these people had a knowledge, a a knowledge of the spiritual world that was maybe even, as they presented, beyond what was was taking place in the local church. They they were presenting themselves as being greater than the local church, and yet the, the voice that was feeding them was dark. It was being influenced by the dark side of the spiritual world. These apostates were rejecting the biblical authority of sitting under the truth of God, and in doing so, they were elevating themselves and claiming an authority within the church that didn't belong to them. And so it's a really weighty accusation. It's a weighty perspective to say 
that um, they were doing something and, and what, what, uh, that, that was wrong. And yet it's so important that we recognize this and it's so important that Jude makes this claim because he's defending the faith and he's defending the gospel here. And you know what? We can look at this and say, man, that was a really difficult time. That was a really uh, difficult day. But if we unpack this, I think we would find that it's actually really normal. There are so many examples in our culture, in our world, where, where we see this thing, where we see these things actually taking place. People bringing forth a word, people bringing forth a truth and saying, this is the way, walk in it. And the unfortunate part of that reality is that these are not words from God sometimes, but actually sometimes they're words or they're an influence that comes from the dark side of the world and it has the potential to sway us in a direction that will actually lead us away from God. It has the potential to lead us in a direction that might bring us to the spot where we reject the gospel of Jesus. And just as this message was polluting these people and causing them to act in ways that were wrong and abusive and destructive and disgusting, it is the same opportunity to do so in our lives today. Think about it. Things in this world that, that can be said that, that might feel good or seem good or, or even... Um, even uh, taste good in our mouths. But the consequences of them are eternal. The stakes are high. If we don't learn how to properly discern and properly work with truth uh, in the world that we live in. Friends, this, these are difficult days, there's no question. But as we desire to move forward, as we hear things and then respond to it, we have to move forward and respond in Christ-centered, gospel-centered, uh, scripture-centered ways in ways that affirm, in ways that, that, that work with the truth of Scripture and don't work in contrast to it. And so how do we do this? As we hear voices all around us that say, this is the, what you should do, this is what you should say, this is how you should respond, this is how you should act, even in the church, how do we measure and test truth to make sure it's from Jesus and that it's centered on him and, and, and complements Scripture and complements the gospel? And doesn't lead us in other ways. Well, let me suggest three things that are important here. Number one is that when we sense that there's a way that we should walk forward, when we sense that there's a way we should respond, we have to measure it or we have to test it against Scripture. You know, we hear things in the world sometimes. I heard recently um, in the policing world, which I do some volunteer work with, at a, at a funeral recently, not Sergeant Harnett's funeral last week, but at another funeral that I was watching recently. Uh, they said this, they said, um, whatever your God is, whatever heaven is for you, go after that place or do those things to get to where you need to go. And it sounds good, doesn't it? Whatever your God is, pursue it. Whatever heaven is, go after it for you. Whatever you need to do to get to the next level of heaven, whatever that might be, chase after it. It sounds and it feels okay, but when we look at the pages of Scripture, that's in contrast to Scripture, isn't it? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. There's one way to move forward. The Bible clearly defines a, a, a definite heaven and a definite hell. These are places that exist. There's a separation between the two. We are not universalists that believe in only heaven, that God would never send his people to a place like hell. No, these are not, this is not truth. And so we have to know how to defend against these things. And so we go to Scripture and we read. And what does the Bible say? Well, it gives very definite word on, on what these places are. It gives us very definite direction on how we should live our lives. And so whatever it is that we're sensing we need to move forward in, 
Whatever it is that we're sensing is truth, we need to go back to the pages of Scripture and read and and compare and contrast Does it line up with what God says through his word. The second thing that we need to do is we need to measure whatever it is that we're, we're facing or whatever it is we're considering. We need to measure it or we need to evaluate it in the context of community. We need to find other people that we can go and have conversations with. And maybe those are people in the church. Maybe that's a pastor. Maybe it's a small group leader. Maybe it's some wise Christian counsel that we have in our lives. A brother or sister in Christ that's maybe a step or two ahead of us in the journey. And go to them and say, this is what I'm thinking. Let's go to the scriptures together. Let's, let's measure this together. Let's feel this together and, and see, what, see uh, what God is saying. And I need you to speak into my life and give me some, give me some direction as God leads you to do so. And finally, we need to trust in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As we sense that we should move forward in a certain way or as we sense we should do certain things, we need to trust uh, what the Holy Spirit is saying to us in our hearts. And as we do, we take a measurement and say, okay, now it's time to move forward in this way or no, we're not going to move forward in this way because the Holy Spirit and wise Christian counsel and the word of God tells me that that way is wrong, but this way is right, even if this way is hard. Friends, we have a choice to make when it comes to truth. We can embrace the truth of the gospel and of scripture, or we can be influenced by the voices of this world. And we have to to understand that one way is going to lead us to hope, a hope-filled reality, but the other way is going to lead us to to destruction. And Jude Jude warns us here to be wise. And he says, choose the better way. Well, these apostates were really elevating themselves, and as we said before, they were taking on an authority that was never theirs to uh, to hold, and and Jude shows us here this, this great example of what can take place if they're not careful, or if we're not careful when we uh, carry an authority that's not meant to, uh, to be ours to shoulder. And so he gives us this example in verse 9 uh, uh, of the archangel Michael. He says, but even the archangel Michael Michael, the leader of the Lord's army. Michael, the the angel that carries the sword. Michael that goes and does battle on our behalf and leads the armies to do battle on our behalf against the evil forces of Satan's dark world. Even Michael himself dare not to condemn the devil for slander, but instead he says, the Lord rebuke you. And it says in verse 10, yet these, speak, these people speak abusively against whatever they do not understand and what, and what things they do understand by instinct like unreasoning animals. These are the very things that will destroy them. These people were, were operating with authority that was never theirs to carry. And in the middle of their, of their communities, in the middle of their gatherings, in the middle of the spaces uh, that they were, they were operating in, they were allowing the light of uh, the situation to shine on them, and they were taking the credit. They were loud, scholars say, in front of the people that they were leading and having influence on. They were allowing uh, the glory to come to them, and in doing so, Jude calls them out as fools. These people love to operate in their own strength rather than giving Jesus the glory. And in doing so, they were providing false hope and false truth that was ultimately destroying them rather than giving them hope and rather than keeping them and preserving them for the days ahead. And friends, practically we see this all the time in our world today. Things love to elevate themselves uh, in our lives and make promises that they can never deliver. 
There are so many things in our lives that love to declare themselves king and claim authority and then lead us forward. And Jude warns us against this. He says, be on guard, be careful, be on watch because these things are going to be a burden in your lives. They're not gonna shelter you or protect you or deliver you or provide for you. They're gonna destroy you. They're gonna pull you apart. They're gonna literally eat you alive if you allow them to to have authority, if you allow them to be king. And so all the time in our lives, we see uh, and we hear and we experience things that enter into our lives that promise us something that they'll never deliver on. They say things like, I'm going to fix your problem or I'm going to heal you. They say things like, I'm going to provide for you. They say things like, I'm going to resolve your issue. Like I'm going to give to you something that you don't have now. They make these I statements over our lives, and in doing so, I think we have to be on guard. That when we hear the I statements around us, if they don't come from Jesus, then they will rob us of what we're looking for instead of helping us or fixing us or delivering us. Think of it through the lens of of something like social media. Social media promises us what? Social media promises us connection. Social media promises us community. And instead, what does it do? I think for those of us who are on social media these days, we know that it separates us. It removes us. It polarizes us. It hides us in our homes and on our devices. And it never delivers what it says it's going to do. Social media is destroying our world today. And it's not all bad. It's actually got some great um, things within it that we can utilize in the kingdom of God. But if we allow it to be king, it's going to lead us to destruction. Think of it through the lens of prosperity. Prosperity promises to us fulfillment and abundance. And instead, what does it do for us? If we allow it to be king, it can actually destroy us as well. There's nothing wrong with working hard and with working hard and earning an honest wage. But if we pursue prosperity without doing the work, if we, even pro- if we even pursue the prosperity gospel, which says if you're good enough, if you do enough, if you believe enough, then God is going to give you something that you deserve, it's going to lead us to destruction. It's going to destroy relationships. It's going to separate us from uh, dependence and relationship on, with God. It's going to never deliver for us the things that we long for to, little, to deliver. In fact, it's going to give us a false identity and a broken identity if we allow it to do so. If we pursue prosperity through things like the prosperity gospel, and we ne- it never delivers, it's going, to, it's going to feed into us and allow us to believe that we're not good enough for God, that we're not worthy enough for God, that we don't have enough faith to pursue God or the things that he has for us in this world. You can see the dangerous pattern that these things can do if we allow them to give us our identity and, and, and have kingship over our lives. And there's so many more. There's things like our jobs. There's things even like our wounds. If we allow our wounds to, to shape or have influence on our identity, it takes us away from God. It takes us away from the, the, the truth of the gospel. It leads us to places and spaces that are broken, and it never delivers, but instead it leads us to destruction. And so we have to be so careful in this world, friends, when we hear the I statements, 
because they rarely, if ever, deliver, and if spoken, they usually reveal a deeper issue. And this is what Jude is warning against here. Be careful of the authority that we give to others. And not just others, but things. And if we give them a kingship over our lives, he says, be on guard. Because it's not going to fuel you with hope. It's not going to deliver. Instead, it's going to pull apart and it's going to destroy. You know, Jude is so frustrated here with the abuses that are taking place in Jesus' name. And, and there's this spot of outrage where he lashes out warning against the church, against the brokenness and corruption, of, and, uh, and against the intentions of these people. Imagine being a dad, and somebody comes into the life of your kids, and, and they whisper in the, in the ear of your child, uh, your dad said I could do this, and so I'm just going to do what I want with you. And then they heap abuse on your child. Imagine how outraged you would be if that person did something in your name to harm your child and heap an abuse on them. This is the kind of outrage that Jude has uh, in the book of Jude. He's livid. He's furious. And he is because not only are these people twisting the message of Jesus, but they're also, they're also attacking people he so dearly loves. If you look to the end of this book, you can see in verse 17 this affectionate heart of Jude. And I would encourage you to turn there or to reference there with me now. He, he calls out and he says, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you that in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. And these are the people who will divide you, who will follow mere natural instincts and do, who do not have the Spirit. He gives this warning and he reaches out to these people he loves, people who affectionately are like his children, and he says to them, I love you so much, but, but recognize what's taking place. And very similarly in this world that we live in today, friends, there's a similar inference that's being made to us. That there's so many things in this world, there are so many uh, pressures and and forces that are trying to pull us apart, that are trying to lead us away from Jesus, that are trying to separate us from the love of God and the intention and the message of the gospel. There's so many things that are striving to destroy us, even in the midst of a COVID-19 season. And what Jude says to us is, remember the foundational truth of who God is. He loves you and he cherishes you. He delights in you. He longs for a relationship with you. He's promised you eternity when you give your life to Jesus. He promises you the Holy Spirit when you give your life to Jesus. He promises you an abundance of life in, in Jesus' name. And it all comes when we choose our king. And he keeps going here as he, as he affectionately lays this before these people. He says in verse 20, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and, and, and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you in eternal life. He's inviting these people to bring Jesus back to the center. The people who have, who have walked away or the people who've strayed away, the people who are struggling with where to move, he invites them to make a choice. And as he's done it here, he does it similarly in our lives here today. Jude, but in fact, in a greater way, Jesus is inviting us to make a choice. And he's inviting us to choose the king. 
And I have to think, friends, that in really challenging days, there's probably been many of us who, who are being invited to make a choice here this morning. And so I want to speak to two kinds of people very quickly. Two kinds of people who I believe need to make a choice today. And as we get into this, I want to invite you to open your heart and your mind to the fact that Jesus might be speaking to you in the coming moments. He might be asking you to respond in the coming moments. And so I want you to prepare your hearts for that. But the first person I want to talk to is the person who at some point in their life prayed to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, but through uh, the trials of life or through the trials of this season, maybe have set Jesus aside a little bit and have allowed other things uh, to gain an authority in our lives or other things to become king in our lives, even for a season. And to these people, I want to say that I understand how those pressures could influence you. We understand how you could get distracted or we can get distracted in the season, but I also understand that we can come back to Jesus. And so I want to invite you to have courage this morning to lay aside uh, the things that have become a distraction. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's your rights. Maybe it's something in politics. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your identity. Maybe it's a, a past wound. We've allowed these things to, to carry a mantle over our lives. And this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to set that aside. Set that aside. And let Jesus have the throne again. I want to suggest to you that um, there's an opportunity this morning maybe uh, during our last worship song or maybe right now, uh, maybe in the, in the coming moments after our service is done, to get on your knees and to repent. And Repentance is a practice that we do in the church where we turn from the things that are distracting us or the things that we've sinned in or the things that have pulled us away. We repent against that and we turn from it and we come back to Jesus. And for you and for me, maybe this is something that we need to do to bring Jesus on the center and, and put Jesus on the throne again. Last night as I was practicing this message, I was standing in this very spot. In fact, I was pacing back and forth on the stage and I had to go through an act of repentance. And I do this uh, often when I preach. I come before on Saturday nights and I just pray to Jesus and I ask him uh, to work in my life, to forgive me for things that have gone wrong, for areas of my life that I've, I've left open and, and not let him have total authority in or, or total, where I haven't totally surrendered. And I just lay them before him. I repent of them. I ask for forgiveness. And then I declare that he is, the, he is my king. This might be something that you need to do here today. And I would encourage you, if you're this first person, to really consider what it is that has taken over the mantle of authority in your life. And to repent of that and to give it back to Jesus. The second person that I want to talk to here today is maybe the person that's never bowed the knee to Jesus before. You're journeying through these days and you're struggling to find hope. You're journeying through these days and it feels oppressive. It feels like the weight of COVID and this world and uh, let's get political for a second. Politics and, and things happening in, in Canada and North America and the Western world and the world in general. All of it is weighing upon your shoulders and you feel like it's that dark uh, syndicate that's all around you. And you feel like you're being defeated. I want to speak into your life and say, friend, Jesus has so much more for you. The authority of Jesus, friends, is not a burden, but instead the authority of Jesus is a shelter. He longs to come into your life and to pull off these things that are oppressing you or, or like chains around your ankles. He, he longs to come in and to set you free. 
He longs for you to know peace. He longs for you to know freedom. He longs for you when you go to bed at night not to lay awake with anxiety and fear. And he longs for you when you get up in the morning to be able to run and and to be free and to not have a weight on your shoulders. But instead to have a crown of salvation. And to you, I want to say that there's an opportunity here today for you to get down on your knees and to pray and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just like Michael Francisi did almost 30 years ago, 40 years ago, rather, in a prison cell. Maybe that's actually what life feels like. Maybe life feels like a prison cell. And you feel like you're in solitary confinement and you're never going to be free of that. Friends, Jesus has so much more. There's hope. There's freedom, there's peace that comes, and it comes when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior and allow him to be king of our lives. And so to this last person I want to suggest, how do we do this? How do we make Jesus number one? And to you, I just want to say that in our church, we believe in the practice of just getting down on our knees and praying. And we see this in Scripture We see in Acts chapter 2, verse 21, where it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then in Acts chapter 22, 16, Saul is told, he says, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sin, calling on the name of the Lord. In Luke chapter 18, verse 13, the tax collector stood up and he beat his chest. And he calls out and he cries. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Friends, Jesus is the only one who can make an I statement in your life and deliver on the promise that he makes. And he says to us these words, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I believe that when we get on our knees and when we pray, when we surrender our life and, go and begin our journey with Jesus, we're going to experience the freedom that we long to know and the freedom that we long to have. God will deliver on that promise and it comes through Jesus. And so I want to invite you to, to, to do just this here today. I want to invite you to pray. I want to invite you to invite Jesus into your heart. And so wherever you're at here this morning, whether you say it in your heart or you speak it out loud, I want to lead you in in this prayer. And as you're following along, if you feel this pulse, this, this pull in your heart, and you know in your heart that this is what you need to do, I would invite you to repeat these words after me. And, and just pray them out loud with me now. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and need your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins and I want to turn from my sins now. I now invite you to come into my heart and my life and I give you authority over me. I want to trust and follow you as my Savior, my Lord, and my King. In the mighty name of King Jesus, amen. If you've prayed that prayer here this morning, I want to encourage you to do Uh, something that I think is going to be very important in your journey with Jesus uh, as we move forward. And that is, is that on the, on this, on the church online page, uh, our host this morning, Jeff, is going to put up uh, a button that you can push that says, I've committed my life to Jesus. And I would encourage you to click that button and Jeff is going to connect with you. He'll probably ask you for your email address or a phone number. And this week, 
one of us, probably me, will reach out to you and talk to you about how you can take next steps in your journey with Jesus. For those of you who are working through that prayer of repentance here this morning, I want to encourage you to respond as well. And I would encourage you either to um, uh, click on the connect button that Jeff is going to put up on the screen right now or to email the church this week, info at udac.ca or, or uh, you can email me as well, aaron at udac.ca, A-A-R-O-N at udac.ca. And as we uh, receive your email, we want to connect with you and, and talk about opportunities we have to continue to fuel faith together. There's lots of great spaces Spaces in our youth ministry and our young adults ministry. Spaces in our kids ministry. For adults, in our, we have men's prayer groups that are meeting right now for half an hour each week. They're rich, wonderful times that are fueling faith and encouraging and spurring people on. For our ladies, we have if table gatherings that are upcoming that you can be a part of. We would long and love for you to be in these spaces and there is space. We just need to know who you are. If you've responded to Jesus here today, it's so right and it's so appropriate that we reach out and we respond. And I would encourage you to do just that. As you put Jesus on the throne and as you give him ultimate authority for your life. Well, as we close this series, I think it would only be right that we close with a proper benediction. And after I read this benediction, I want to encourage you not to go. We're going to sing another song. We've got uh, some announcements that we want to make that are really important to how we worship in the weeks to come. Uh, But we want to close with this, with this word from the book of Jude, verses 24 and 25. And I want to encourage you. These are hard days. Just this past Monday, I felt like there was a weight on my chest that I couldn't lift. I felt like I could burst into tears all day. But friends, as we humble ourselves, as we define the fight, as we realize the stakes, and now this morning as we declare Jesus as king, I want to say to us, there's so much hope in these days. God is doing so many good things. He's refining his bride, his church. He's working in us. He's shaping us. He's preparing us for this season and the seasons to come. Because I believe that he's going to do, is doing something and is going to do something that's far more than anything we could ever ask or imagine. And it's, it's going to come according to his power that's at work within us. Let's close this series with these words from Jude chapter two, or verse 24. He says this, To him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory and majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. We love you so much. Let's continue to worship together.